0: and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Nice, 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 nice with Dave Delaney. My guest today is Chris Kelso. Chris is a keynote speaker for leadership conferences, corporate events, and universities, and he's a frequent guest on television, radio, podcasts, hey, podcasts like this one. And he's a trained and certified executive coach and... Chris is the author of overcoming the imposter silence your inner critic and lead with confidence welcome to the show Chris oh thanks Dave
1: I'm so glad to be here and looking forward to this conversation a lot
0: yeah me too I've, I've been I've been excited about it I love the book uh, I I uh, thank you left you a little review there on Amazon it was it's 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 a good book. I think it's a timely book for a lot of people too, especially as as work has kind of changed. You know, more people are yeah. are working from home and working under different conditions. So it's uh, it, I think it's timely that way too. But I'm going to begin with the question first of all. What is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Wow. Well, you know,
1: someone left me a really nice review on Amazon for my book, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so much. Uh, we'll, we'll leave Dave nameless, but no, uh, actually, you know, around the book, um, so many people have been, um, really encouraging with not only their own stories of, of how it has changed their thinking or impacted them, but, um, but sharing it with others, you know, I think one of the, the, the best things that you can do for an author is to help perpetuate their work and pass it along to other people. And, and, I've said, you know, to many people that in order for this book to have the kind of impact I want it to have, it's got to get beyond my own circle of influence, yeah. and you know, the people that will buy it because they know me. And so, uh, there've been a number of people who've been very generous with their audiences, with their relationships, uh, and recommending and referring it to others. So I'm always very, very appreciative of that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's it's amazing as a as an author as well. It, it's amazing how um, a review just can help. Uh, you know, it can obviously it, it helps feed the algorithms uh, like Amazon's, of course, which you know all authors are you know slaves to. Um, but at the same time, just yes. just. Just taking the time to to share your book with with people is is a big deal. I mean, you know, I even write about that in social media too. Where I I, I wrote something recently about using Twitter and how I don't want people to favorite my tweets. Um, a retweet or a quote or whatever is 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 better because that helps to spread it. Um, and then replying is really like I'm a big proponent of of social networking, and so yeah. I like replies. Yeah. So rather than just liking or favoriting everything, you know, that does give a little you know nudge to the algorithms, but it's just a much nicer gesture. To reply and leave a comment or or share, make it, with it a conversation. Own. Yeah,
1: yeah, to right. Turn it into something more than just what it started with. I, I remember uh, it was one of the late night hosts. I can't remember which one it was, but he he pointed out that uh, that someone shared something on social media, and they said, if you you know if you care about this cause, like this post, it's the least you can do. And he said, you know, I, I think that actually is the least you can do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My wife, Heather, and I always have this thing where, you know, I'll do something for her or she'll do something for me. And we'll say like, you know, I'll just say like, hey, thanks for helping me clean up, you know, last night. And she'll just say, you know, that it was literally, literally the least I could do. Yeah, right. <laughs> we always it did. Was, like, absolutely. So, the, the, the next the, notch down
1: is nothing.
0: Right, right, right. It's just so, <laughs> I mean, a retweet. I mean, how simple is that? What's so? What's yes. a good conversation? Have you gotten into a good conversation on social media recently? Which which? Uh, what social network was it, and and what were you doing?
1: You know, the the good conversations are almost always around a thought provoking question that I hadn't considered. You know, every now and then, uh, someone will ask something about my work or something I've spoken on or written about that is a new angle or, or just somewhere I haven't gone before. And those are the really intriguing ones. And the reason I think social media is probably a really good place for that kind of discussion is it, it gives me time to think, um, you know, I've done since publishing this book, I've done a bunch of, uh, podcast interviews and every, and and I get a lot of the same questions, you know, people are interested in a lot of the same things and talking about the themes of the book and the work, but, um, Every now and then someone will pose a question that I literally have just never considered or thought about before. And I have to say, well, you know what, you're gonna have to give me a minute to think about that. (laughs) And, and in a, in a, in a podcast or a live broadcast, a clubhouse room or something like that, it's, it's difficult. You have to really think on your feet, but at least on social media, you know, I can really take something like that and, and ponder it for a little while and really construct my thoughts before I formulate a response. But I think that, that Gives you some really rich uh, discussion and allows you to to go in some different directions without having to just pop off a spontaneous answer that might not actually fully reflect
0: how you think about it when you have some time so I'll get a little meta here then in an interview format and ask you what is what's a question that you've received that kind of tripped you up or made you pause to to uh, to think about the answer on. So uh,
1: I was on a podcast recently for uh, that, that was around the tourism industry. Um, Nicole Mahoney uh, hosts a podcast called um, Destination on the Left, and, and she's kind of an expert on travel and tourism. And she had me on to talk about my book, and she said, you know, the, the tourism industry sometimes can feel like an imposter among other industries because we're, we, we don't get the same official recognition whether it's by government entities or things like that, that other industries do as an as an economic, uh, as, a, as a major force in the economy. And yet empirically, we know, I mean, you know, Dave, that tourism is a big part of the economy. And especially in mm-hmm. certain cities like Nashville, where we live, it's, it's a huge part of the uh, economic, uh, it's a driving force in the economy. And so we went on this whole discussion about sort of imposter syndrome as it relates to industries and sectors rather than individuals. And that was a really interesting, I guess, intellectual exercise because my book is written about people and it's specific, you know, it's unique individuals. It's about that mind game that goes on in your head of self-doubt. And I hadn't thought about applying that to a such a broad, uh, audience or arena as an entire industry or business sector before, but
0: um, it, it created a really u- unique discussion. Yeah. That's an interesting, that's an interesting approach to it for sure. Like thinking of it as, as an industry, like a, like, for example, and and as you said, like in tourism, for example, where, or hospitality or something where you feel that, you know, your industry may not be like as important as, you know, X, right. Y, and Z industries, and so you feel that, you know, maybe like what, what, what was the feedback from her on like, what challenges did she face as a result of, of being in that, in that position to face imposter syndrome because she's in this uh, you know, this, this industry that maybe in her mind perhaps, or not her mind, but you know, she might feel that it's not as as popular or, or, or seen as important, even though we all know it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about, Uh, A lot of different ideas around how the industry can respond and sort of build its confidence, you know, that it is a contributor and that it is a major factor, even when it's not getting the formal recognition or the, the, um, an example might be in the, you know, in the COVID pandemic, um, tourism wasn't necessarily deemed as an essential business so a lot of tourism was just shut down mm. and was not considered critical infrastructure or essential and so you know how does tourism respond how how does the industry the hospitality industry respond to we're not getting the same support and 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 necessary necessarily the same recognition mm. as other industries but we we certainly have all seen and felt the economic effects of the lack of travel and tourism in, uh, in our country and around the world. So, you know, how you message that and how you come back and respond, uh, I think is, is really industry I- interesting and telling about your industry. And then we also talked about even within that industry, that you know, certain cities or destinations are always trying to compete with one another or emulate one another. And one of the messages in my book around imposter syndrome is that, You know, when you're comparing yourself to someone else, uh, it's never going to be a fair comparison. It's never going to be accurate. It's never going to be uh, reliable uh, as a as a benchmark of your real value and your purpose. And you've really got to focus on you are on your own journey. You're not on anyone else's journey. And as a as a city, you can't try to be another city you have to focus on the unique aspects and the, and the gifts and the benefits of your city and not just try to emulate some other tourism area that you think you want to be like. And, uh, and, and even in a, in specific areas, neighborhoods, or places that, you know, you can learn from other things of what's going well in different areas, but just trying to be someone else or beat someone else at their game is usually not going to get you where you want to be. In fact, often it becomes a distraction that detracts from the things that are different and unique about your particular city. So there there again, we we took this idea of imposter syndrome in a whole different direction and applied it to the industry that she and her audience were in and had a, a really engaging discussion that was a lot more mentally stimulating for me than just, you know, talking about the typical stories
0: that are in the book and the things that I've talked about, you know, dozens and dozens of times. So right. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, and I think, I think a lot about, um, you know, be, uh, living in Nashville for 14 years and and kind of watching this city grow uh, quite, quite rapidly and, you know, having a background in the technology sector here. And knowing that you know, so often we're always trying to uh, mimic or be the next Silicon Valley, and it's yes. and it's and and it's, and so to your point, it's it's let's let's focus less about trying to be like somewhere else, and rather just be ourselves. And I think uh, I think that's an important an important point. So talking about uh, this little thing called the uh, imposter syndrome. Um, I'm not going to get into defining it because I think if you are listening to this right now, you uh, probably have uh, faced imposter syndrome, so you are familiar with it at least. And if you haven't experienced it, well, we could we could talk about that too. But um, instead, let's talk about uh, how imposter syndrome is a good thing because you talked about it in your book that you are trying to silence your your inner critic, but. But in order to lead with confidence, I think facing the imposter and understanding understanding that that the fact that you are you are dealing with this uh, is actually a good thing. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think there's two reasons that you need to confront and deal with that inner critic rather than just avoid it or or try to make it go away completely. And one is that. If you're just trying to avoid it and just trying to to eliminate it from your life, what it's going to do is cause you to avoid taking risks and avoid putting yourself in situations where you could fall short or you could experience failure. And if you avoid failure, you're going to put all kinds of artificial boundaries on yourself, on your life, on your career. And you're going you're gonna to not be willing to take the risks that you need to take to learn, to grow, to stretch, and ultimately achieve the things that you want. So I've seen people try to avoid imposter syndrome by simply avoiding all the situations that may feed that imposter syndrome or where they may feel like they're in over their head. And that just really, really limits and stifles your ability to grow and to develop. On the other hand, if you you know, completely eradicate any self doubt in your life. There's a real danger there too, because you can just become a narcissist, right? You can just (laughs) become a person who believes that they're capable of anything at any time. And no matter what, they're always good enough and capable. There's no limits, no boundaries and nothing, you know, I can't fall short in any way. And that puts you at risk of making some really, really big mistakes that could be life threatening or detrimental to others or, you know, you're, you're sort of putting yourself in harm's way in the same way that a child who thinks they're a superhero, uh, if left, you know, completely unfettered might try to jump off of a building and fly when they obviously cannot. So you want to, you want to have a healthy dose of self doubt, but you want to, you want to really manage it and harness it. And one of the things that I learned in, and, and, and really recognized in the process of writing this book, I was going back over my career and looking at all the, the different times that I've experienced self doubt and imposter syndrome and felt like I was in over my head. And, and I realized that the moments that I, the most insecure, the times that I felt like I was, uh, that, that I was really in over my head and at risk somewhere, those were often the most pivotal moments of my career. They were mm. the times when great things were happening. I was learning, I was stretching. I was with people who, may have intimidated me but also had a lot to teach me and from whom I could really grow a lot faster than if I was just among you know, other peers or people where I felt like I was on par. And so I've learned to recognize that feeling of I may be a little bit in over my head as a really good sign, as a positive sign that there's opportunity here something to learn. There's an opportunity for me to grow. I'm experimenting. I'm stretching myself. And that's where the magic happens. It happens outside of your comfort zone. So while you don't want to avoid imposter syndrome, you also don't want to completely eliminate it where there is no self-doubt. You want to find that sweet spot where there's the doubts come, but they don't dominate you. You actually you actually change your perspective and turn those into signs of great opportunity. And you lean into those moments despite the fear uh, rather than because it doesn't exist.
0: Do you think it's, it's uh, you know, I'm just thinking about this in my own work and, and you know, working on a second book um, uh, and, and realize, and, you know, and, and struggling with, with self doubt in, in the process of, of writing my next book and, and, I'm continuously talking myself out of it by saying, by saying, you know, you idiot, like you felt this way yeah. with the first book and it was acclaimed and people loved it. So, you know, right. shut up, Dave, like you can do this because you've done it before. So do you think one of the remedies and I'm not saying a remedy for a a, remedi- a remedy for for destabilizing uh, self-doubt you know, feelings would be experience? Well, there, there certainly is a
1: time when you have so much experience that you're just really comfortable with doing something and it's it's old hat, it's very natural, and you do it with ease. So I think experience does play a, a factor and and helps you to overcome imposter syndrome in a particular area of your life. But that takes a lot of time and and it takes a lot of experience, right? So if you... If you have imposter syndrome writing a book and you do it anyway, well, then you've learned that you can overcome that imposter syndrome to write a book. And so the next time you write a book, you may still experience it. You may still have some self doubt, but you can rely on that past experience to push through it. And mm. it becomes a little bit easier that next time, right. because you can, as you just said, you can talk to yourself and say, look, I've been through this before and I've, and, and it worked out and, and I can do it. If you've written 12 books, then you may not have much imposter syndrome at all. You may feel like, man, this is, this is something that I'm very comfortable. I'm in a groove. I know exactly how this is going to go. Really, you know, imposter syndrome, the underlying root of it is, is the fear of failure and the fear of public exposure as you're not what everyone thinks you are, or you're not what maybe you've pretended to be. And so even writing a second or third book, you can have that feeling of, well, maybe the first two were just a fluke. Maybe maybe some some luck played into those and my luck's going to run out. Um, even author Maya Angelou, after writing, I think, 10 or 11 books, she said, every time I publish a book, I think, this is the one. This is when they're going to figure out that I really don't know what I'm doing mm. and and that I've been running a game on everybody this whole time. And so... You know that 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 imposter syndrome can continue to to creep up on you and to plague you even after you have some experience. But again, I think the key is you learn to harness that energy, that that feeling, and turn it into something positive. Make it a motivating force. Use it as a sign and a symbol that I'm doing the right thing. Because when that doesn't show up anymore. That means I'm no longer stretching myself. I'm no longer doing anything that scares me. And so maybe I'm not doing things that are worth doing anymore.
0: So like at what point do you realize, like where is the fine line or is, the, I, I, I'm sure there's a fine line, but where is that fine line for those who really, I mean, their brains are telling them it's a bad idea that you try this. Uh, Right. Which is kind of, you know, that is in a way, imposter syndrome, your brain's kind of kicking your, your heart in a way. But at what point do you have to acknowledge that? Wait a minute. I don't know how to fly a plane. I need to get out of this cockpit right away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point is there. I, I think you have to look at the potential consequences of failure or, falling short or that's making great. a mistake. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if, cause most of the time imposter syndrome is, it's mostly about the fear of embarrassment, mm. right? It's if I fail, people are going to look at me and say, Oh, he wasn't what he thought he was. And, but the, that's, is there really a lot of harm in that? No, it's, it's feelings, right? We're worried about our feelings being hurt. We're worried about maybe our credibility or our ability to continue to make money in the profession we're in or something. So there's, maybe some real consequences there that have a little bit of teeth but no one's going to get killed no one's going to die now should i scrub up and and put you know put on a doctor's outfit and walk into a surgical room and say i'm i'm a doctor no i shouldn't do that should i get in a cockpit of a plane when i've had no lessons and say boy i just really believe in myself and therefore i can fly this thing no because there's real and and significant harm that can come if you try that and fail it. But if you write a book and it flops, the harm is going to be far outweighed by the value of what you learn in that process. And that's really a key is changing your perspective on failure, that failure is learning. And if you If you decide that no matter what happens, you're either going to succeed or you're going to learn something at the very least, then failure truly becomes not an option. Mm -hmm. We're not going to fail. We're going to succeed at what we attempt to do, or we're going to fall short and we're going to learn a lot of things in the process. And when you have that attitude and that approach, a lot of these risks don't seem quite as risky because you know you may not get out of it what you intended, but you're going to get something out of it
0: yeah i love that so what you're saying is really it's about perspective in a way right it's about looking it at yeah. what 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 ultimately will happen if i fail at whatever it is that i'm attempting so like as you said like you know am, is someone going to die if i attempt surgery when i don't know what i'm doing actually that reminds me there's a great uh, i'm a you know diehard kids in the hall fan from back in the day and there's uh-huh. a great day foley sketch uh where he plays the world's worst surgeon where he doesn't actually know <laughs> what he's doing, <laughs> um, and at the very end of the sketch, he's like, "Oh, well, I gotta go tell this family that he didn't make it." You know, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, so. It's it's great, but yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good point because you really, sh- yeah, we really should be looking at the at that perspective of what the ultimate outcome will be should failure uh, come. Uh, so yeah. 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 yeah,
1: And, and, and balancing that with the opportunity again to learn. Yeah. Um, most of my learning has come at the expense of failure, right? We, we often learn more from failure than we do from success. Quite frankly, things Mm -hmm. go well and we don't evaluate it to, to, to really recognize why, but when things go wrong, we scrutinize, we dig in and we learn and we apply and we change what we're doing. And so failure is an important part of the process and, and again, if you avoid failure, you're gonna avoid all kinds of learning as mm-hmm. well that's yeah. gonna help you along the way, along life's journey, along your career.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I have a, a keynote presentation that I do in a training called the Master Communicator's Secret Weapon. And in that talk, mm-hmm. there's three key takeaways. And one of those is not fearing failure. And and how I use examples in that talk of of different companies and businesses who have pivoted um, uh, you know, taking a risk, but, but pivoting and becoming something entirely or not necessarily entirely, but somewhat different, like, you know, Nintendo switching from cards to, to technology. Well, that worked out pretty good, uh, yes. or Starbucks, you know, uh, pivoting from just coffee grounds and, and, you know, espresso machines and, and things like that to, you know, the, well, the Starbucks we all know and love now. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of opportunity, by, by facing, by facing those risks. And really, I think, as, as you said, like putting in perspective and thinking about what is the ultimate failure here should, should failure strike. Um, so that's, that's great. Can, can you have imposter syndrome in an actual relationship?
1: Hmm. Now see, there's one of those interesting questions that I, that I haven't thought about in a relationship
0: Hey, you're listening to The Nice Podcast with Dave Delaney. That's me. Visit futureforth.com to learn how we can transform the communication at your organization. And if you need a speaker for your next online event or your in-person conference, are we doing in-person conferences yet? Uh, Soon, I hope. Uh, You can visit davedelanyspeaks.com. Yeah, you'll learn more about working with me there. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: I think so. Uh, I think that you know imposter syndrome is when you doubt your success despite evidence to the contrary. So if you're in a relationship with someone, and and, and whether that's a romantic relationship or a business relationship or, or just a friendship. Um, if you worry that you're not really what the person the person thinks you are, or you feel like, man, things are going really, really well, but it must be a fluke. It must be uh, the result of just luck and timing. And, you know, maybe I just haven't said the really stupid thing that I'm eventually going to say that's going to blow this up. Um, you can You can feel like maybe you're a little bit of a fraud in that relationship. And the question, I guess, would be, you have to take a, a, a real look at yourself and say, am I truly being inauthentic or am I just suffering from an insecurity? Am I worried about something that could happen or am I worried about the fact that I'm managing my image and I'm and I actually am wearing a mask. And at some point that mask is going to fall off. Hmm. Um, those are two very different things. And most people who struggle with imposter syndrome Uh, are not frauds. They're not inauthentic. They're not, um, they're not faking. They, they just, they worry that what other people see in them is not really there. And so I, I think that comes down to, particularly in the relationship area, it comes down to whether you're being genuine and honest or whether you're being intentionally deceptive. And if you're not being intentionally deceptive, then that's just self doubt. That's just insecurity creeping up. And and you may need to even have a an honest conversation about that with the person that you're in a relationship with and, and talk about those feelings and when when and how they come up and and uh and how you can, you know, counteract those feelings and reframe your relationship and how you see it from a different perspective so that you can have the confidence that you need there.
0: Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. Good job. Well, that was, there you go. A new a new question yes. for you. I wanted to keep it interesting, I knew it was, right? I
1: will I will I will put that one away and, and and make sure to hold on to that answer in case it comes up again because that was an interesting one.
0: Great. So, um, you have been uh, a keynote speaker for some time and I know that uh, we are both huge fans of, of, both Michael and Amy Port and HPS for yes. public speaking. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your experiences as a speaker and, and in what you have done as far as, you know, learning performance and things like that. Cause you don't, did you have any performance background? I can't remember if you did, you have or not. I
1: I don't have a performance background. So I, I have been speaking in front of audiences in one way or another since I was a teenager. Hmm. Um, and, and I've done a little bit of acting. I've done a little bit of performance when I was younger. Um, and I was in radio in my late teenage years and things like that, but, but I've never been really formally trained. And up until just a few years ago, had never monetized speaking, had never been paid as a speaker. I just did it because I genuinely enjoy doing it. Um, but a few years back, I started actually getting paid to speak and being hired to come in to, uh, companies or conferences and events and, and speak. And then as you said, and actually it was Dave, it was you who introduced me to Michael and Amy port and Mm -hmm. heroic public speaking. And, uh, about a year ago now I went through, uh, their initial, um, core program and was just really blown away at the level of professionalism and quality that they, uh, that they displayed and the things that I learned there were just an entire level above anything that I was doing. So I felt like I, I, I went in feeling like I was a pretty good speaker and I came out feeling like I was sort of the best of the worst. Like I was on the top of the amateur heap, not <laughs> and just at the very bottom rung of the professional uh, group. So that's been such a fun journey over the last year um, working with them and honing my craft and learning that skill. And I would still say I'm early as a professional speaker, but I'm definitely building and working those muscles and, uh, and and honing that craft and we'll continue to do so. Cause I think communication in general has always been a, an interest and a focus of mine um, because as a, as skills go, I think communication skills are one of the most valuable if you can be an effective communicator in any arena, whether it's you know on a stage or in front of an audience or on a microphone or not, um, the the ability to communicate effectively to help people see a perspective differently or to understand a thought or to 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 just translate what's in my head into your head effectively is a is such a powerful tool, and not enough people know how to do it well that it can really make you stand out when you're when you're a great communicator.
0: Do you think that self-doubt can can kick in when somebody is unable to effectively communicate what they're trying to communicate?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, when 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 you have trouble communicating, you know, you, you have an idea in your head, you have a thought, you have a, a, a concept um, that you want to convey, and when you can't get it across to other people, or when you think you're getting it across but they don't respond well. They don't latch on to it. They don't react in the way you think. It's going to it's going to plant doubts in your head of whether the idea is even any good or whether you whether you see the situation correctly. And so an inability to communicate can not only hamper your ideas from from spreading or your um, your perspective, your viewpoint from being shared by others. But it can cause you to even doubt that there's any value there because it's not shared by others, because it's not spreading, because it's not coming across and being received and internalized by other people. So I really do. And I think that's a really great point, Dave, that that you can have the best idea in the world. But if you can't communicate it effectively, you may eventually give up just thinking ah, it must not be any good um, or right. I just must not be very smart because... None of the stuff that I come up with, you know, people really latch on to none of the stuff that I write really, you know, goes viral and takes off like wildfire. Or when I speak to audiences, they just don't uh, seem to get engaged and resonate. And so there's a difference between the the quality and the value of the content or the ideas and the delivery of it, the communication—whether it's written or performed or verbal, uh, or you know, in any other form—the the mechanism you use to convey that information has to be as good as the information itself, or you're just going to dilute that value. And then, as you pointed out, that can result in imposter syndrome, on just feeling like maybe maybe I really don't have anything to offer because it's just not happening for me.
0: Mm. Yeah. I remember, uh, Alan Alda, um, uh, who we're both old enough to know, uh, some of our younger listeners may not be familiar, uh, mash come on people. Um, anyway, uh, but Alan Alda does a lot of work with, uh, the science community, you know, he was a a host of a a program about that. But anyway, he wrote a book Mm -hmm. about, uh, uh, it's a great book. It's called, uh, if, if I, if I understand you, would I have this look on my face? (laughs) <laughs> and it's a great name for a book, yes, but he talks is. about how the, how his specialty and what he's, what he's talking about now is, is improving, uh, improving the way that scientists communicate specifically, because to your yes. point, like if they cannot effectively communicate The urgency and, and, you know, what they're talking about, whether it's climate change or, you know, uh, the next pandemic, if they can't effectively communicate this, then people will not understand what they're saying and thus not act upon it. Um, So. I guess that gets back to, to self-doubt and also asking yourself, you know, or, or this, the the imposter, but, but asking yourself, you know, what is the ultimate outcome? Should I not be able to do what I need to do here? Like, are people going to die? Climate change? Yes. People are going to die. Pandemic? People are going to die. So it is absolutely crucial that you communicate Effectively, um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and I you met s- a guy mm, named Mark
1: on. Bayer. I think he's also a Heroic Public Speaking alum, if I remember correctly. Mm. And he is in the science community, and he has a podcast uh, called "When Science Speaks." Mm. And that is basically his mission. Is he feels like scientists are, you know, great at studying and researching and at coming up with ideas, and often terrible at communicating them. And so. Yeah they need to get better at the communication side in order for their ideas to take hold. And of course, that's a, that's a skill that some people um, are always going to struggle to develop. Some people are naturally better at it than others. And there are times when one person, you know, comes up with the idea and another person does the effective communication of it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's worth mentioning too, is we're not all going to be great at everything. Um, there, there are just things that no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to be awesome at them right. because, you know, I think that that really being gifted or or being being good at something is a combination of talent and developed skill. And sometimes there's just not enough raw talent to work with to be excellent in a particular area. Um, athletics is that way for me. No matter how hard I work, I'm not going to play in the NBA. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. Right? But I bring that up because there have been some great examples of um, people who take scientific work and turn it into great communication. And and I think uh, Daniel Pink, uh, Mm -hmm. the author, is is an example of this, that as far as I know, and it's possible I'm wrong about this, but I don't think Dan Pink does a lot of his own research. He works and builds on the research of others to write great books like Drive and, And, you know, the ideas that he has spread has been, here's this great research. Now, let me help the world understand what it means and what we can do with it. Mm. So um, I I think for a a scientist or someone who has that kind of challenge, certainly I don't ever want to discount the value of developing your own communication skills. But another answer, another option could be to partner with someone, find a great communicator who can get passionate about your work and work together, collaborate to get that message out there.
0: Yeah. And I think a big part of that and, you know, is, is identifying and and recognizing your own strengths and your weaknesses as well. And then, you know, and I'm a big fan of different, you know, personality assessments and things I've, you know, did one with you uh, a while back, Um, but yeah, where you can find and tap into your strengths, but also recognizing that you know, depending on, on your, your leadership styles or your business styles, you can, you can team up with someone who has a contrasting strengths that, that will work, you know, c- cause then you become like the, you know, the chocolate and peanut butter together. And now you're like, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. chocolate and peanut butter. Um, yeah. So yeah. Interesting. And, and talk a little bit about humbly confident. You, you wrote in your book about, uh, you know, about being humbly confident. Can you explain what that means?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'll start with the opposite of that, which is what I call uh, proud insecurity. And this is something that I have experienced in my life where I have an inward insecurity and that imposter syndrome is really kicking in and I compensate for it by being really arrogant on the outside. And I'm trying to project strength. So I'm, you know, acting really, really confident but it's really a mask for an internal fear and insecurity mm. and living in that mode is really dangerous and uh, risky and perilous. And, and quite frankly, it's just a lot of work <laughs> to, yeah. to sort of to manufacture confidence yes. when you don't have it. And to try to, to to manage an image of uh, of confidence is difficult, but at the other end of the spectrum is humble confidence. And that is where, Um, you are confident in your abilities. You're confident in not necessarily that, you know, everything, or you have all the answers, but that you are, are good enough at figuring it out that if I don't know the answer to this, i I can find someone who does, I can do the research. I can work my network. I can, you know, I can reach out to Dave Delaney. If I need expertise on podcasting or on building communities or on public speaking, because he's going to have answers that i don't and and so i feel confident and comfortable that if i don't know something i can learn it and that allows me to not have to project an outward false confidence that i can remain humble that i can say you know i don't i don't have all the answers and i don't have to have all the answers and anyone who expects me to have all the answers has an unrealistic expectation so i don't i don't need to try to measure up to that ideal that i'm an expert at everything or that i you know in any given situation will make make the right choice i i won't i'll make mistakes i'll experiment i'll try and fail and learn and try again and eventually i will succeed and i think that's the real difference is that the 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 humility can come more easily when you recognize that learning and growing and and having success is a process that involves a lot of failure along the way. And so I can simultaneously have enough humility to say, yeah, I may get it wrong and I may mess up from time to time, but that's okay. While having the confidence that eventually I will figure it out. Mm. I will get there. Um, and if I keep at it, Um, I can learn and achieve and accomplish whatever I've set my mind to if I'm willing to go through the process of trial and error and experimentation and learning that it takes to get there. And and so that's that combination of humble confidence Mm. um, that I don't have to hold myself up as the expert or the end-all be-all, but I do believe that I can get to whatever end that I set my mind to get to through that process.
0: And, And how do you... Determine because it sounds to me like what you're saying is you need to, you need to at some point determine what you need to succeed at in order to succeed in your business. So if you are a leader of an organization, you know, you've got, you've got um, you've got goals that you need to reach in order to, to see success. And, and, and I think you need to maybe take a, a step back in order to define what success even is and what those metrics are to know that you're moving in the right direction so for example you know using that plane analogy again you've realized at some point probably that you know it doesn't matter you don't need to be stepping into the cockpit and and attempting to fly a plane because that's flying a plane is not part of what you do for a living it's not part of your business it's not part of your life um but on the flip side you know you you talked about the power and the importance of, of of good communication skills. And so presenting your ideas and, and having experience, as you said, some, a little bit of acting and some radio and things like that and, and, and presenting as well, but realizing that that presentation skills are such an important part of your core business that you, you chose to to hire professionals and go and, and actually really study the art of performance. So maybe the question here is how can you better define, uh, what success is or what, or, or what those goals are in order to make sure that you are, you know, you can, you're not failing at flying a plane when, when that's not something you need to be doing.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it starts with the recognition that all success comes at a cost and that success requires sacrifice. And the reason I say it starts with that is because in order to say yes to one thing, you have to say no to many, many other things. You simply can't do it all. And and so when you recognize that, you start to become intentional about what things am I going to say yes to and what things am I going to intentionally say no to in order to make those things a reality that I want to say yes to. So again, going back to you know, some of the other things we've touched on. If I want to be a good public speaker, I'm gonna to have to devote time and energy to honing that craft, to developing, to improving, to getting, seeking feedback, to rehearsing and, and, and flexing that muscle. Um, if I wanna be a great basketball player, I'm gonna to have to spend time practicing and doing drills and, and honing those skills and building the muscle memory there. But looking at my natural talent, I think I have a lot better shot of being good at being a public speaker than I do at being a basketball player. And so I've intentionally decided that there's one thing I'm going to pursue and there's another thing I'm just not going to pursue. And even if I enjoy playing basketball and I do enjoy bouncing a ball around and shooting hoops every now and then, but I I'm not going to invest time, money and energy into getting better at that because it's not in line with the things that I'm trying to achieve personally and professionally and it's a trade-off there there are a lot of things you you, know, you mentioned flying a plane I've I've wanted to be a pilot for a lot of my years and in fact I've, I I mm. in my younger years I flew experimental aircraft I've flown ultralights and and done some things in that vein but mm. I had to make a decision at some point that that's not high enough on my priority list to invest the time and money it would take to become a licensed pilot and to be really good at that. And does that mean I'll never do it? No, it doesn't. I may, I may yet get there. I would love to, but it is not, uh, it's not, I'm not going to let it compete with the things that are really, really important to me, like raising a family, being faithful, uh, in my church, um, building a business, impacting people having the kind of influence i want to have writing a book uh you know dave writing a book is a big commitment that you've got to decide are you going to set aside the time and put in the work to make that a reality and so i think you you really have to know what your goals are what the end game what what you're trying to achieve if you uh you know if you follow um they saying if you chase two rabbits you catch neither of them right? Mm -hmm. If, if, if you're going to go after something, you've got to let some other things go. And sometimes those are really good things. There's nothing wrong with them, but you have to make intentional decisions about what you're going to pursue. And then when you achieve something, or when you get to the point that you can do something without it taking a lot of time, a lot of practice, you can go back to that. Well, of what are the other ideas? What are the things I put on hold? Which one of those can I pull out and start to spend some time on? But the reality is we all have only twenty-four hours a day, only three hundred sixty-five days a year. You just can't manufacture more time and energy to apply to more things than you can handle at once.
0: Yeah, good point. Great point. Because yeah, we we just there's just so much time in a day, and that's it. All right, so let's move on to the lightning round. Uh, All right. So, uh, finish this sentence. Nice guys and gals. Finish. Hmm. Happy. What is a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening?
1: A nice book is, uh, Patrick lynchione's getting naked. And it's a, a great book, particularly for anybody in a professional services business. If you're in any kind of consulting or, uh, or coaching or, you know, a service oriented company, it's absolutely invaluable, but even for, other people in other types of businesses, I think it provides some really, really great some concepts on how to build and maintain great clients and build trust with those clients.
0: Oh, that's great. And how is Chris nice to himself?
1: How is Chris nice to himself? You know, I have a jar of dark chocolate peanut M&Ms sitting right here on my desk. And every day I eat two or three of those. And it's just a little... Thing You know, I, I eat relatively healthy overall. I don't consume a ton of junk food, but that's my little treat that I give myself every now and then.
0: So you were nodding in agreement when I talked about chocolate and peanut butter then.
1: Yes, chocolate and peanut butter are, are good things. <laughs> Dark chocolate, especially. Yes.
0: Yes. All right. And if you had a billboard, what would it say? Oh, man. Um, if I had a billboard... You know, I, I think I
1: would want it to be a digital one because I would probably change what it says on a fairly regular basis. I, I like to mix it up, and uh, sometimes it would be funny. Sometimes it would be really thought-provoking, and uh, other times it would be really poignant and uh, and challenging. What so would it, would, what, would, what would would it say it today?
0: What would it say today if I was driving what, past?
1: If you were driving past today, um, it would be, boy that's a really great quote. you're gonna have to you're probably gonna to have to edit this because i'm gonna sit here and think for a minute that's okay uh, it would say um it's probably time to cut your yard because that's what i'm thinking about as i'm looking out the windows right now my grass is getting really tall and it's
0: taunting me <laughs> that sounds familiar actually uh, thanks for putting that billboard up now, not hey, only do I go. remember what that's I need right. to do, but now I will be nagged about it
1: as well. Now so. you feel guilty as well. That's so right, just, right. hey, I'm providing a little nice guilt to your life.
0: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. How can people uh, find out more about you and and uh, reach out? Yeah, my, my, uh,
1: my website is chriskelso.com and it's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S-K-E-L-S-O. And in fact, if you remember that my name starts with a K, I'm pretty easy to find on most social channels and online things like that. So chriskelso.com and the book website is overcomingtheimposter.com and you can read there about uh the book, uh my speech and some of the events that I've been at as well as you can find information about my executive coaching and leadership development work that I do.
0: Thanks for listening to the Nice podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Maker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice.